Church, if you could please open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 6, where we left off. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, I want to speak to you briefly about an amazing ability that our brains have. The body is a fascinating specimen. People across history have looked at the body and studied the body, made interesting observations, and that's one of the critical arguments for God is God's existence. It's the argument from design. We know that there's a creator because there is a creation, and it is marvelously, magnificently complex. The analogy given in the past has been that of a divine watchmaker. We wouldn't just put the pieces of a watch into a bag and shake it around and then open it and hope to pull out a, for, a fully formed functioning watch. No, that doesn't happen. When we see a watch on the beach, we assume, oh, someone dropped that. Huh. Someone did a good job making this. Why do we think that? Because it's complex. That's not just going to randomly throw itself together in the fascinating mechanism that it is. Well, our brains are an example of how we have been designed by an intricate creator, and they have this amazing ability. Maybe it's a defense mechanism. Maybe it's just a learned practice. However you want to explain it, this amazing ability can be of great benefit, but it can also cause great damage. I call this ability zoning out. It's fascinating. Have you ever been on the drive somewhere? It's probably a drive that you take all the time. You're very familiar with every stop along the way. And you leave one place, you arrive at your destination, and then you have this moment where you think, wait a minute, when did I pass Walmart? I don't, I don't remember seeing that. Has this ever happened to anybody else, or is this just me? Okay. I arrive at my destination, I'm thinking, well, I know I passed it because I came here, but I don't remember seeing this place. What happened? We're so familiar with the routine that our brains are able to just shut off and I can be driving and functioning and paying attention to, attention to traffic, but the information that's coming into my brain, it's like it is shut off and put a wall up, and it's just rejecting every single bit of it. Sometimes, in fact, last night this happened. We were at the house. Stacy was making breakfast for supper, and I'm in charge of the bacon. It's real easy. I just open the little thing, put the bacon in, close it, let it cook. I said, I can do this. Well, I'm waiting for the bacon to cook, and I walk over to the door, and I'm looking out of, of the back door, looking out in the yard, and I'm just thinking. And Stacy kind of says something to me, and I, I, I hear her talking, but I'm not registering what she's saying. And I'm like, Garrett, what, what are you thinking about? And I just kind of, oh, I, I uh, just, you know, and I, like my brain went into shut-off mode. If you're a wife in here, maybe you're saying, yes, husband's brains go in shut-off mode all the time. You know exactly what I'm talking about, Okay. The information that we receive in those moments is technically being received by your eyes and your ears, but whatever internal process that's supposed to take place to process and store that information doesn't function properly. The stuff was inputted, but then it wasn't processed, and then it just goes out as soon as it's in. Well, today we're going to look at a similar phenomenon that can happen on a spiritual level. Here's our main idea for today. The wisdom of God's word comes only by the Spirit. The wisdom of God's word comes only by the Spirit. Now, Paul is still addressing division in the church here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's going to continue to elaborate on the gospel of Jesus Christ as the power and wisdom of God. 
Hopefully you're there. I'm not going to ruin things any further. We'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, and we'll hear from God's Word ourselves. So let's stand together as I read from God's holy Word in humble recognition that we are about to read the divinely inspired Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you please illuminate your word? Would you cause it to ring loud and clear in our hearts? Cause us to embrace its truth that you might produce within us a hundredfold fruit according to your word. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. So based on what we've seen so far in the book of 1 Corinthians, it might appear as though the gospel is intentionally unintelligent. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we looked at last time, Paul outright says, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, ultimately so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. The theme has been similar the past several times we've come. The power of the gospel is in the gospel itself, not in how it's packaged. So Paul didn't come with these eloquent words of wisdom. Well, now Paul makes an important clarification. He says, just because I'm not speaking in a way that the world would label wise doesn't mean I'm not imparting wisdom. The Christian faith is not unintelligent. The Christian faith is not a blind faith. It is a reasonable faith. Faith, though our world defines it differently, and that's important to recognize, faith is not the mindless accepting of truths of which we have no proof or evidence. That's not faith. That's just dumb. 
That's not what we are. We don't blindly accept something that all reason says this is not true. We accept something that God has established from the foundation of the world in the things around us so that we are without excuse, Romans 1. So the Christian faith is not an unintelligent faith, and that's what Paul is reminding us of here. He's actually imparting wisdom. It simply depends on how one might define wisdom. If you look back at these verses, starting in verse 6, there's two types of wisdom being contrasted here. He says, among the mature, talking about the mature in the faith, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. That's the first type of wisdom. If you keep reading, that's doomed to pass away. Instead, we impart the second type of wisdom here, a secret and hidden wisdom of God. So there are multiple differences between these two types of wisdom here, but the main difference here appears to be the eternal stability of God's wisdom versus the fluctuating wisdom of the world. If you look how it describes the rulers of this age, what's destined to happen to them? They're doomed to pass away. But then we have the God of all creation who imparts a secret and hidden wisdom which God decreed when? Before the age. Before all of the ages. These rulers have passed away and passed away and passed away all across time. But if you go all the way back at the very beginning, there is a hidden wisdom of God that has endured that entire process. It has never changed. Even though the rulers of this world come up with these new ideas that are fluctuating all the time. To give you an example, when I was in school and we studied atoms, I'm probably going to embarrass myself here. I didn't make this in my notes. I really shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. We had protons, neutrons, and electrons. And when we, had, we had to draw these diagrams out, and we had the protons and neutrons in the middle, and then we had the electrons around the outside, and we had to couple them in pairs. So you had to, like, link them up. And then they linked with other atoms so that there was a complete cycle, and it would attach. So depending on what the charge is, they would link together and form these new molecules. Then, fast forward, I go into student ministry, and I'm talking to students, and someone has their science homework, and I'm like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like step up and like help them with their science homework. This is great. And I start reading about an electron cloud. Do they still teach this in school, electron cloud? It's probably changed again. Anyway, they're teaching about an electron cloud, and maybe it's not so much particles or there's particles in it, but it's a cloud of static negativity around the atom. And I'm thinking, okay, that's strange. Or think about the planets in our solar system. We've gone from 9 to 8 to 9, I think back to 8 again. Can somebody confirm that we are officially at 8? We don't even know. Isn't that strange? The wisdom of this world, there is intelligence in it, but it fluctuates. The wisdom of God is never changing. I think that is what Paul is trying to draw out in these descriptions. Though there are these rulers and kings, and though they are wise and intelligent, 
God is the only eternal king, and his wisdom is beyond comprehension. It was decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, Paul says that the rulers in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't understand God's eternal, stable wisdom. And the word here, understood, in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, is vital to helping us understand how Paul wants us to understand the word wisdom. What is wisdom? What Paul is contrasting here when he uses that word is ultimately understanding. There's the wisdom of this world that is a way of understanding everything that makes sense to me. Then there's the wisdom of God, which is the way of understanding everything that makes sense to God. These two wisdoms are not always in alignment. I would argue for the vast amount of time, they are at complete odds with one another because God's, in, God's wisdom is infinite and ours is very limited. So even if ours was remarkably accurate, it comes nowhere close to God's wisdom. And this wisdom is fluctuating, but this wisdom is stable. It is a way of understanding everything that we are looking at. The rulers of this age understood and interpreted what they saw differently than God did. They saw Jesus, they saw the signs and the miracles and the teachings, and they said, huh, look at that, it's a blasphemer, we need to kill him. He, he thinks he's God. And they got together in the book of John. We saw this. They got together and they said, okay, what do we need to do? Well, the Romans aren't going to like this. So it would be better for the whole people, the whole nation of Israel. It would be better for all of us if we just killed this one man. It would be better for the many for one to die. And they had no idea the irony behind that. Because the one man would die for the nation, just not in the way that they thought he was going to. They thought, kill him so that Rome doesn't kill us. But God's wisdom, taking the exact same information, saw it differently. He said, no, the one man will die for you. He will die for you, but it will be different than you could possibly imagine. It is for your eternal redemption. I'm going to give you one more example. Both Christians and non-Christians have a vast interest in the question, how did everything get here? Non-Christians tend to lean heavily upon naturalistic evolution. Christians tend to lean heavily upon creationism. Both sides of the spectrum here and all of the positions in between they are all looking at the same pieces of evidence. If you listen to a debate between a, an evolutionist and a creationist, they're giving information from the exact same evidence. We would both look at the Grand Canyon and say, look at this, this proves my position, because blah, 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 blah. And the other guy would say, well, no, actually, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing you're seeing, but you're seeing it wrong, because here's what I see, blah, 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 blah. We're looking at all the same pieces of information, but we're interpreting it differently. The difference is how we arrange the evidence. It's in our understanding. Both sides do this. We all do this. We rearrange what we see so that we get the result that we want to see. 
This is the wisdom of the world. Paul says that this is why the religious leaders crucified Jesus. And then here he gives this quote in verse 9, as it is written. If you want to jot uh, these references down, Isaiah 64, verse 4. Isaiah 64, verse 4. And Isaiah 65, verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. That's what he is quoting from here. It's not one Old Testament scripture. In fact, he's kind of paraphrasing two passages that speak about two different things to make his point. The first passage, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, is talking about how no man since the foundation of the earth has comprehended the type of God that Israel's God is. No man has ever even imagined something like that. And then God comes down and acts in unexpected ways. The second reference here in Isaiah 65 is talking about the new heavens and the new earth, what God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul's reference here, he's trying to say no man can comprehend the wisdom of God on his own. It all belongs to God. The only way we have access to it is when God reveals it to us. That's why he says, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what God has prepared for those, these things, in verse 10, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. We'll get to that here in just a moment. So here's our first point this morning. Across all time, man has seen and perceived many things, but these things cannot be understood or correctly perceived by the wisdom of this age. Why? Number one, the world's wisdom changes according to its desires. This is what Paul is implying. The world's wisdom changes according to its desires. And he's going to use this in defending his position about why the church is dividing. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to unpack this a little bit because this point, I think that Paul is implying, but I really want to make it plain for us. I'm going to put it slightly differently to help us understand it. Our temptation, the wisdom of the world, our temptation is to reason backwards. We start with our desired answer or solution, and then we work backwards in order to arrange the information, to rearrange our wisdom so that we get the answer that we want. So I want the end result to be blank. Therefore, here's how I need to interpret everything I'm seeing to get that answer. That's what I would argue many non-believers are doing when they argue against the existence of God. They are pointing to things in creation, and they've started with the assumption there is no God. Since I know there's no God, how should I interpret this evidence? To be fair to them, Christians do the same thing. Well, I know there is a God, so how do I interpret all this evidence? We're following the exact same strategy. There is a better way for us to acquire our wisdom. So our temptation is to reason backwards so that we get what we want. Listen to God's word, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and the first part of verse 4. He warns us, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. Do you see it? Our passions influence whatever sources of information we receive. What do I really want to hear? Ah, that sounds great. That's what I want to hear. Consider Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the direction the wisdom of the world leads. What do I want, and how does that shape the way I need to think about everything? If you think I'm not telling the truth, look at our culture. Can you believe we are at the place that we are at today? Just the fact that I'm about to talk about online about what I'm about to talk about has ruined people's lives. We are starting from this position that the ultimate highest good is for me to be able to do whatever I want to do and nobody can tell me that's wrong. We have this sexual perversion that is calling man, woman, and woman, man, and you can't really call it. It depends what you are. Biological birth has nothing to do with it. It makes no sense. Yet, it makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. Have you thought about that? And these are not dumb people. They're intelligent. And it makes perfect sense. It's like they get it. And we look at them thinking, you just don't get it. You don't have a clue. And you know what they're thinking looking at us? You just don't get it. You don't have a clue. It makes perfect sense. But it is a distortion of the truth because what they want to be true is there is no God and I can do what I want to do. The desires of their flesh are leading them to interpret what they're seeing in the wrong way. And shame on us for looking at them and recognizing and saying, I can't believe they can't see it. But you know where we don't see it is in ourselves when we do the very same things. We already know what we want. 
and we interpret everything accordingly. We even will reinterpret God's word. And we tell ourselves, like, oh, God's word says it. But we're not willing to listen to someone else who says, I think you might be misinterpreting that. And what we say instead is, well, everyone has their own interpretation. It's the exact same. You have basically just voiced the exact same argument. We have to be very careful to submit ourselves to the wisdom of God and not the ever-changing wisdom of the world. We cannot let ourselves be corrupted by that way of thinking. So what's the solution? How do we do this? We're looking at the same evidence, especially within the church, and this is how Paul wants to use this. All the Christians were looking at the scriptures, but then you have people dividing over them, and they're looking at the same information, but they're disagreeing. What's the solution to this? I have to start here, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. We just read a moment ago. If you back up two verses, here's what Paul tells Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Do you get the connection now? The time is coming when we're going to rely on this changing wisdom based on our desires. So the antidote to that is to conform our desires to God's word. That will protect us from this fluctuating wisdom of the world. What I'm about to say is not always the case, but it must necessarily sometimes be the case. If God's word never rubs you the wrong way, if the Bible never challenges the way you think about life or the world or God or even yourself, your flesh is likely filtering out parts of God's wisdom rather than God's wisdom filtering out the desires of your flesh. There should be times that we come to this book and read something that just does not sit well with me. I just don't know how I feel about that. That should happen. Do you know why? Because I'm not God. <laughs> You're not either. We should have moments where we come to this and say, well, what, they had a veil over their face in 2 Corinthians 4, and the enemy has blinded their minds so that they can't perceive? I don't know how I feel about that. What? Whoa. God is in control of everything, but then we still are responsible for our actions. Church, there are some hard truths in this book. We need to accept them first, then figure out why is this wise. Why do we do that? That doesn't sound intelligent. Because we already know this is the wisdom of God. He's demonstrated over and over and over. So we trust and we say, okay. It's time to study and try to understand. But instead, what we do is we say, well, I reject that, so it's got to be different. And we come and we reinterpret and try to piece together 
And a lot of times we do a terrible job, if we're being honest. We need to make sure that our thinking is being driven less and less by what we want in our desires than it is by God's truth. So this sets up Paul's next statement. If the Bible is the solution to understanding the world and the gospel correctly, and if we can all be looking at the Bible but coming to different conclusions about it, how do we explain that? Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is how we can explain how people might be coming to the same text and walking away with different understanding. Because there is an element to which we need the Spirit to reveal what God has written. <clears throat> Ephesians 6.17 says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So the Spirit uses God's Word to reveal God's wisdom to us. Wisdom doesn't come from just opening the Bible and then reading it and then walking away. Many non-believers have read this entire book. And you know what they do? They say, hmm, that's interesting. And then they walk away. Wisdom doesn't come just from reading. Wisdom comes as the Spirit within us grasps these words and teaches us internally with it. Even right now as I'm speaking, if something is hitting you in a particular way, it's not because I said it just the right way. It's because the Spirit is taking the truth of God's Word and applying it to you. And you're able to perceive and to understand. What this means is that any growth in the knowledge of God is always a work of the Spirit and never solely the work of man. Which leads to our second point. God's wisdom changes us according to the Spirit. God's wisdom changes us according to the Spirit. So the world's wisdom just changes according to our desires or its desires. But God's wisdom changes us and that happens according to the Spirit. There are three primary ways this happens. I don't have this on the screen, but they're short. The first way this happens is revelation. Revelation. In verse 10, these things, these unknown mysteries of God, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. We've been hitting on this heavily We've talked about general revelation, special revelation, and I'm not going to dwell on this too long, but for here, it's important for us to see that revelation is a work of the Spirit, and Paul gives a great analogy to help us understand what's happening. In the same way that no one really knows someone's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, you don't really know what I'm thinking, you can't. 
because you can't read minds. The only person that really knows what I'm thinking is me. Just like the only person who can really know what you're thinking is you. This is the analogy Paul uses. In the same way, no one can know the depths of God except the Spirit of God, because He is Himself God. All the depths of God's infinite knowledge are at the Spirit's fingertips. And then guess where that Spirit is now? Inside of us. You have within you a powerhouse of wisdom. He is able to pull from the depths of God's infinite wisdom and to impart it to you through God's Word. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to know all of the infinite depths of God's wisdom. We don't have access to that. In verse 12, when it says that we might understand the things freely given us by God, there is a limit to that. We can think some of God's thoughts after him, but we cannot think all of his thoughts after him. Deuteronomy 29.29 references the secret things that belong to the Lord our God, and it contrasts that with the things that are revealed, which belong to us and to our children. Theologians will describe this using these terminologies, the hidden will of God and the revealed will of God. These are the things that God has hidden from us. When we read the book of Revelation, there's this time in there where John is recording and he's writing down, and this is excellent. And then God says, hey, this next thing I show you, don't write this part down. And you can imagine John, okay. And he's just taking it in. Guess what? We don't get to know what he saw. We don't get to know that. That's what God has decreed. That's not for you. So the Spirit reveals to us what He determines we need in a given moment. He reveals it to us. That's revelation. Here's the second way the Spirit reveals or gives us this information in the wisdom of God is inspiration. Inspiration. Verse 13. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. As Paul speaks, or any of the other teachers of the church, the words are human words. These are English words that you're hearing, and they're being taught by a human vessel, but at the same time, they are being taught by the Spirit. Put simply, the words coming out of Paul's mouth were the words that the Spirit is using to do teaching. This is where we get the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. I'm going to give you a very important, yet unnecessarily complicated, in my estimation, term. It's called verbal plenary inspiration. <laughs> verbal plenary inspiration. What does this mean? Verbal, that's words, Plenary is full or complete every word, the entirety of the words in this book. Inspiration are given by God. Every single word. Now, this was not written in English, so your English translation may have seven words in this verse. My English translation may have 11 words in this verse. That's not the words I'm talking about. I'm talking about the original languages of these scriptures. Every one of those words was given to us by God. 
And the reason we have to have this unnecessarily complicated terminology is because many people within and without the church today have sought to take the doctrine of inspiration and say, well, what that really means is that when you come to the Bible, God teaches you and inspires you through the words. But it's not that the exact words are God's words. It's that the ideas are God's ideas. And you know what's happened to these denominations that have embraced this view of inspiration? They are in rapid decline, to which I would argue, praise the Lord. Why? Because they have rejected the only authority. When it's the ideas of Scripture, who becomes God? I do. My interpretation. We have to have the grounding of the authority of the Bible in the actual words of the Bible or we are hopelessly lost. That's what this doctrine teaches. So though the Bible has many human authors, human words, there is one divine author who inspired every single one of those words, and that is God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 gives us the clearest picture of what this looks like. It says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So putting this together so far, the Spirit inspires the very words of the Bible, then the Spirit reveals it to us as we come to the Bible. There's one final step here, number three, illumination. Illumination. That's right. Illumination is when the Spirit turns on the light bulb of your mind. You come to the Scriptures. Have you ever come to a passage you've read over countless times, and then suddenly one time you read it, and it's like someone just flips on a light bulb? That is a moment of illumination through the Spirit as He allows you to understand God's Word rightly. We see it in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The English word discerned here pops up more than one time in our text. In the ESV, that's the only time the word discerned appears, but in verse 15, it says the spiritual person judges all things. That word judges is the same word discerned. The same thing at the end of the verse. Is himself to be judged by no one. Exact same word. Discerned, judged, it's the exact same thing. Other translations will use the word appraised instead of discerned or judged. Or evaluated. I think that all of these translations are right and helpful, especially when you hold them together. How is it that one comes to rightly discern or judge or evaluate the words of the Bible? The Spirit does that. It's spiritual discernment. That's illumination. The truths of the Bible are spiritually discerned. For this reason, someone who is not a believer simply cannot comprehend why Christians boast about the wisdom of God's Word. They can't, they can't comprehend it. Why? Because they don't have the illumination. They don't have the light bulb moment where it all clicks. 
Since Christians are filled with the Spirit of God, they are able to judge or discern or evaluate all things. And then Paul says that they are not subject to judgment or discernment or evaluation by anyone. Now, this doesn't mean that non-Christians can't make judgments about things Christians do or say. We make mistakes all the time. And a non-Christian can point out, hey, that was wrong. They can absolutely do that. That's not what this is talking about. Rather, it means that as Christians, we act in accordance with God's revealed, inspired, illuminated word. And as we do that, we are above correction by those who are not spiritual. So as a Christian chooses to not give full vent to his anger, that's what the foolish person does in Proverbs. A Christian decides, I'm not going to give full vent to my anger. The non-spiritual person would look at that reaction and afterwards say, why didn't you let him have it? Why didn't you, you just let him get away? He thinks he's right. Why did you do that? The Christian in that moment can think, I am not to sit in judgment over you. I am to sit in judgment under who? The Lord. That's what Paul is getting at here. This doesn't mean Christians are perfect or above reproach. As Christians obey the scriptures, those who are not spiritual will try to sit in judgment over them. Do not be afraid of the judgment or evaluation of people when you are following the will of God according to the word of God. Also, equally important, do not reject the evaluation of spiritual people when they correct you according to the word of God. The point of all these things is that if there is to be any type of correction or evaluation, it is not to be grounded in man's wisdom. It is to be grounded in God's wisdom. This is where that comes from. That's how Paul is using this in the overall argument of 1 Corinthians. These teachers are being evaluated by the Corinthians, and Paul labels the Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I could not address you as spiritual people. So he's saying, you are being unspiritual right now. And you are evaluating these teachers, not according to God's word, but according to the worldly standards of wisdom. Now, how do we translate all this into everyday living? I'm going to give you three lightning round applications here. Number one, this isn't, I don't think, on the screen. Number one, transform your mind according to God's word. Transform your mind according to God's word. If you want an additional scripture reference here, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The final verse here in our passage today says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We are able to think as Jesus thinks. Not completely, we're not Jesus, but to a degree. And that degree will increase as God's word transforms your mind. And that only happens through exposure to the word of God. That's how that happens. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds as we expose our minds to God's word. One reason that God's word doesn't change our minds is because we don't expose our minds to it. 
and we think, oh, I'm growing in wisdom. You can be however old you want to be, a Christian for however long you've been a Christian, and not be wise according to God's standards because your exposure to this has been limited or the Spirit has not illuminated it to you. And that's dangerous. That is scary. I'll tell you where I've seen this is being in seminary, listening to these guys teach the scriptures. I walked in thinking, I have a good grasp of this stuff. I'm walking out of seminary almost thinking, man, I have a lot to learn. (laughs) We have to submit ourselves to God's word to be transformed. Number two, pray whenever you take in or share God's word. If it's spiritually discerned, we cannot trust our ability to interpret it ourselves or to share it to someone else effectively. When you share the gospel with someone, pray that the Spirit would take God's word and make it clear to this person. I got to share the gospel the other day with someone who came to my house to work on the internet. Praise God, he flat out told me he's not a Christian. He is a... is very complex. Some kind of a pagan. He believes in multiple gods. So I got to have a very interesting conversation with Norse paganism. That's what it is. He's a Norse pagan. I got to have a great conversation with this guy. The things that I'm sharing with him are not going to make a lick of sense if the Spirit does not take that truth and plant it into his heart. And in that moment, we're tempted to just, okay, if I can just get the right Bible verse out, that'll convince the guy. And that's not true. It's the Spirit who takes that truth and opens it to the individual that we're sharing with. And this is true when we study the Scriptures personally. Before or after you come to church, pray and ask God. Before I preach, you'll notice, I think a youth pointed it out one day in Sunday school, maybe Chip was telling me. Why does Garrett always say this word? Some of these things are very intentional. Why do I always say, Holy Spirit, illuminate your word? Because I believe that that has to happen. So before or after church, God, thank you for the preaching of your word today. Would you illuminate your word so I can understand? Help me meditate. Before or after you read your Bible, before or after you witness to someone, before or after Sunday school, here's the third, here's the third one. Restrict spiritual evaluation to biblical instruction. Restrict spiritual evaluation to biblical instruction. This is Paul's whole point with the division over the teachers, but it applies to so much more. If we feel we must approach one another about something significant, we must remember that it is God's word that must sit in judgment over that individual because that individual is being led by the Spirit just as we are. If we don't have something in here that we can point to and say, see, you're doing this wrong, then really what we're doing is sitting in judgment over that person and saying, you're listening to the Spirit wrong. I don't have proof, but I just know it. That's a dangerous place to be. We must make sure, if we are going to make some type of an evaluation over a brother or sister, it must sit in judgment under God's Word. If there's a correction that needs to be made, God's Word will reveal it. And if God's word doesn't reveal such a correction, be slow. That doesn't mean that you can't approach this individual, but be slow to do so because you may unknowingly be sitting in judgment over God instead of that individual whom God is using. 
So here's the summary statement, church. May we ground our wisdom in God's word through the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and the discerning of the sage. That you have revealed it to people such as us. We do not have enough wisdom or enough intelligence or enough know-how, enough common sense to be able to comprehend your wisdom. Holy Spirit, we need you to open the eyes of our hearts that we might fully see what you have prepared for us in your word. God, help us to be comfortable and okay when there are some truths that you do not reveal to us. Protect us in those moments from allowing our desires to distort and change the way that we think about the world. Lord, I pray this morning, as your word has been proclaimed, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your word in all of our hearts. You have inspired these words. You have revealed them to us. Now finish your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.